Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms. I'm Dr. Amy Moore here with my beautiful co-host, Terry Miller. We're coming to you today from a partly sunny but very hot Colorado. We are excited to welcome our guest, Natalie Vecchione. Natalie is a homeschool consultant, FASD parent advocate, co-author of the book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities. And she's also the host of the podcast, FASD Hope. Welcome, Natalie. I'm glad that you are here with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm excited that you're our guest today because we've got lots of homeschool mom listeners. Um, Before we even launch into anything, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, about how um, you got into what you do, and um, give us a little history for our listeners. Sure thing. So my husband and I, uh, we uh, met in school, East Carolina University, go Pirates, Mm -hmm. and we married pretty young, um, right out of undergrad school. Um, I at the time was battling severe endometriosis. And when my husband and I started dating, I told him that um, there was a really good chance I wouldn't be able to conceive because of my endometriosis. And he said, that's okay. I love you because you're you and not because you can carry a child. And if you can't get pregnant, we'll we'll adopt. So my husband and I then, um, after we married, we moved to Miami where we both went to graduate school. And we tried um, getting pregnant for a number of years. And I actually became sicker as um, as we were trying to conceive. Um, so uh, we ended graduate school. We moved up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in 1998. In 1999, I had a total abdominal hysterectomy at the age of 28. Um, it was definitely um, a reinvention for my body because I went from being sick all the time to Having a surgical menopause, which um, is um, pretty dramatic, but it gave me a quality of life. And I realized I needed that, um, especially, you know, when we became parents um, a few years later. So uh, we adopted our son um, when he was two and a half weeks old in 2002. um, And he had medical issues, which we later found out were a result from his having a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And uh, we tried, um, you know, all sorts of different schools. We tried private school, public school, hybrid school. And as he grew older and as he acquired more diagnoses, we realized that homeschooling was really the best option for him. So I stopped my career of being a music therapist and being a recreational therapist and working um, primarily as a music therapist at the time to homeschool our son. uh, And that was uh, almost eight years ago. And I didn't realize at the time, but it was actually a fantastic accommodation. You know, we, we know that homeschooling allows our kids to learn at their own pace, especially if they have a lot of strengths in one area, but maybe need more support in, in different areas. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we started homeschooling our son. Um, and we also, at, at 
the uh, around the same time a year later adopted our daughter um, and she was our so our our daughter's adoption story is much different than our son um, unfortunately we don't know um, anything about our son's um, birth parents we know very little about his birth mom um, nothing about his birth dad so we have a closed adoption um, we've tried finding out more information and just have not been successful our daughter on the other hand has a completely different story. She, uh, her birth mom was actually our son's babysitter when we lived in Philadelphia and her birth mom and her birth aunt were my flute students as well. So, um, we adopted our daughter at birth. My husband and I were there at her birth and, um, she has a very different adoption journey and a very different homeschool journey, um, as a typically developing, um, young child. So um, in 2017, uh, when our son, just before his uh, 15th birthday, um, he was hospitalized as a result of having a comorbid um, mental health diagnosis that was actually um, a result of his having a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I should backtrack. Um, when he was two years old, we were verbally told that he may have been um, by a specialist that he may have been exposed to um, alcohol, prenatal alcohol exposure. And we've had that confirmation when he was 15 and when he was hospitalized. Um, so we really, at that point when he was hospitalized, it, it I'll be honest, it really broke me as a mom. It really did because I just really did not know what to do. Um, you know, and I prayed and I educated myself and I really, I thought I was an advocate for my son, but I went to advocate boot camp and, and learned even more, really learned about brain-based parenting, neurobehavioral parenting, neurodiversity, and really changed the trajectory of his homeschooling. Um, to that we focused on his skills especially, but we really let him explore working with his hands and working in um, areas that we saw, you know, were strengths for him and letting him explore. So he took some welding classes, he took some forging classes, um, but the class that really stuck with him and it actually turned into a camp and then turned into the subject um, of my portion of the book that that I co-authored um, was he learned carpentry and became a carpentry apprentice. And um, that really changed our trajectory of homeschooling um, because I think so many homeschoolers and myself included, because I did do this when I started homeschooling, we either are married to curriculums or we either are married to a strategy or we're married to, okay, well, this is our group. This is our homeschool co-op. This is the way we do things. And having a son with an FASD, with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, I learned <laughs> the hard way, unfortunately. But I learned that you really can't be married to anything <laughs> except for your spouse when you're homeschooling because um, our children's brains and our adolescents brains they develop they change they you know they grow and we need to allow for that especially if we take a strengths-based approach to homeschooling which is one of the many topics our book 
um, discusses. So fast forward to today, our son uh, graduated from homeschool uh, last year. He continues his apprenticeship, even though he's done with homeschooling, and he continues his, his work as um, a carpentry apprentice. Um, he's taking some more advanced courses. He's still with his uh, second teacher, who he has been for over two years. Um, and Although all of his friends from homeschooling or that he do through regular school have launched and they're all either, you know, living on a dorm or in the military or, or working, um, he is still at home. Um, we are in the process of taking one of our uh, detached workshops. Uh, we live on a small property, uh, about four acres um, in farm country. And uh, we're taking one of our workshops and converting it into a tiny house for him so that he can have um, interdependence. And that's another topic we really talk about in our homeschool journey so that he can have his own space and have, you know, his own um, lights and things and whatnot, but yet still have that safety net of us being on the property, you know, if he needs anything. Um, because we know with kids that have an adolescence and young adults that have brain-based diagnoses, such as FASD, um, there is definitely a gap between their chronological age and their developmental age. And as parents, it's really important for us to acknowledge that and and be aware of that as they grow, because him seeing all of his friends launch, that actually triggered some grief in him. And then actually in my husband and I, because, you know, um, it, it was something we weren't expecting. Honestly, you know, sometimes you just think about getting through the day. And, you know, when that happened, we're like, oh, yeah, that that is something we all need to grieve. So, um, again, he's, he's doing well. And um, we're kind of gearing up for that next step. Um, will he ever live on his own? Um, perhaps with, with good supports in place or, you know, perhaps if we find, you know, someplace that we feel he could, um, he could thrive in. Uh, but for now, this is our plan. And, and um, during our homeschooling, especially the last years, we really felt that having that connection with our son so that he felt like we were his safe place and that he could come to us when he was having challenges. Um, we felt that was really important. And I think that um, that's another, again, I keep saying one of the things we wanted to communicate in our book, but that was one of the many things we wanted to communicate. You know, our, our young adults, our teens, our kids, our young adults that have brain-based diagnoses such as FASD, autism spectrum, ADHD, you know, fill in the blank, you know, um, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, any type of brain-based diagnosis, um, we, we need to support where there are, um, where there are needs such as adaptive functioning, executive functioning, areas like that, but then really highlight and, and shine a light on their strengths. And, and that can be in the area of skills. It can be in the area of arts. It can be in the area of, um, you know, being very sociable, personable. Um, there are many areas where our kids that have neurodiversity shine. And that's one of the many reasons I love homeschooling. Our daughter is typically developing. Um, she 
just turned six. Um, she does have childhood absence epilepsy, which runs in her birth father's family. Um, so even though she um, she is typically developing, she does have a neurological diagnosis and homeschooling for her looks differently, but a lot of the same themes and kind of um, same I guess strategies apply for her too. You know, we support her strengths. If she has, you know, an absence seizure, then we give her that time to to rest and her brain to rest, and you know, to to give her that um, opportunity to just wait until she's ready to, you know, start, you know, um, start the day over, or even just wait and start again tomorrow. So um, it's a different journey, but a lot of the the lessons that we learned with our son do apply. And our daughter loves homeschooling. She has homeschooling friends. Um, we, she is very involved. She loves to sing. So she takes voice lessons. Um, she loves art. She's been um, with an art teacher um, for almost two years, actually over two years now. And um, she loves outdoors. We have a nature path on our property. So she loves going and exploring and, and science. So it's, it's a whole new, it's almost like homeschooling an only child again, um, because, you know, there is a 13 year age gap between our children. Um, but it's been a great lesson for me. Um, and I, again, just wanted to share our story, our family story, because I know how um, common it is when you're homeschooling a child that maybe is not heading down a college path after school, after homeschool, I know how isolating that can be. So, you know, with my friend and co-author, Cindy LaJoy, um, we shared our journeys, our respective journeys and, and lessons we learned because we didn't want other families and especially other parents, we didn't want them to feel alone. Um, this is a different path. It's, it's um, a path that's not often taken, but um, as we know, uh, those paths usually are the most beautiful and and teach us the most. Um, so that's a very long synopsis of <laughs> of our journey, but that, that's kind of where we are are at now. So you talk about that you actually reinvented your career because of this journey, right? You are a music therapist and um, recreational therapist, right? Yes. So how did you how did you make that transition? as a woman with a career, right? But also a mom, how did you make that transition from having a degree? I mean, having a, a career as a therapist to then reinventing homeschooling mm -hmm. and then taking this to the world of homeschool moms. So um, the honest answer is I'm really not sure how, <laughs> if, if I could tell you, I'm like, Hmm, you know, boy, I, I think though, looking back, um, so first of all, I really just, I, 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 the situation at the time when we pulled our son out of school to homeschool him, I really just jumped right into homeschooling and tried to learn as much as I could. Mm -hmm. So my focus really was on our son. Um, I really didn't think about sharing our journey and, and going into advocacy and going into podcasting and going to everything that I'm doing now. Honestly, I really didn't think about that until um, 
we went through all of the experiences we went through. You know, our, our son was hospitalized. We moved from the suburbs out to rural farm country. Um, you know, our, our son started his apprenticeship. I learned along the way, and I think I, ha- I didn't start, I, I, I apologize. I didn't acknowledge that, oh, hey, I'm learning something and I have something to share. I, I think that really didn't happen until uh, probably a couple of years ago. And what I did was I started things like I volunteered for a couple of local nonprofits related to FASD and to epilepsy. Um, I was actually selected in our state of North Carolina, uh, one of 50 parents to participate in a leadership um, summit for parents of children with special needs. It, it was called the Exceptional Children's Assistance Center Parent Leadership um, Conference. And I was very honored to, to be a part of that. And I learned a lot in that. So I think when other people started seeing, hey, you're, you're pretty good at this advocating thing. Maybe you should take it to the next level. I think that gave me the confidence to say, okay, I'm ready to share our story and what we've learned. Mm-hmm. So um, again, the honest answer, I really have no idea. But um, for example, podcasting, you know, we started FASD Hope um, and that was over a year ago. I just felt like it was ready. I felt like inside me, I knew it was ready to share our story and to learn from other people and, and to help others learn. And I think it was also, to be honest with you, I think it was um, it, it was really kind of like a, a revelation aha moment. You know, I had about a year and a half ago where um, I realized that, okay, everything I went to school for and I studied for and I, you know, practiced for so many years, over 20 years was wonderful and I loved it. Um, and, and I would do it again in heartbeat, but I realized that I was meant to be on this road for a reason. And I think when I really embraced and acknowledged that, then doors opened even more. You know, then I realized that, oh, hey, there's a book inside me that I need to share and and teach other people. So, yeah, I I think I guess it's just a really personal reason for everybody. You know, for, for me, it was okay, I knew I couldn't do it while our son was in crisis or while our son was, you know, just starting to get his his sea legs and in and, and learning and whatnot. Um, I did it when it felt right for me. Mm-hmm. You followed the, it, it sounds like it was, it happened very naturally. You followed the natural course. Yes. Yes. It was, it was really organic, to be honest with you. You know, I just felt like I was like, okay, I'm in a place now where I'm ready to, I always, I've always wanted to help others. You know, that's why I went into the professions I did. And, and, um, but I realized now it was like, okay, I need, I, I acknowledge that our family's personal journey is very unique. However, you know, from what I learned in the trainings I went to, you know, it's so common for so many families of kids with neurodiversity mm-hmm. to feel so isolated and to feel so alone. And, and if I could be part of that solution or to change the conversation of stop focusing on the deficits and start focusing on the strengths, then I wanted to be a part of that solution. Right. Well, I think for other homeschooling moms, as I'm listening to you, um, I'm thinking about, um, you know, I, I was a homeschool mom for uh, my oldest son has um, had a lot of medical problems. He's he's doing great now, but it was a long journey and he was home with us um, for 
many years past what people would think is cool or good, you know, um, because he had medical struggles because he was not capable of living on his own at 21, 22, 23. Well, he's 26 now and he is living on his own and he's thriving. He's doing great, but he had his own path. It had its own timing and the term neuro neurodiverse learner. I think for other homeschool parents listening, or even if you've, you've got a kid, you're just a mom that's got kids in school, but you know that you've got a kid or two that may have medical problems, may have behavioral problems. There's just, there are things that we know as a mom, we know this school environment is not working for my kiddo. And my son was in first grade. He was just starting out in first grade. Kindergarten, he was able to slide through, but it was in first grade we realized this isn't working. We, this is not helping him. He is getting worse. And so I want to encourage listeners um, to check out this book, to check out resources, to know that there are options. You don't have to just be stuck in a public school environment. If you feel like that school is not being able to meet your child's needs, there are options and you don't have to be feel, you don't have to feel like you're trapped in homeschooling either. That there are options if you're a homeschool mom and you feel exhausted, that you are burning the candle at both ends and in the middle because of the struggles going on. There are resources to help and you can get help outside of homeschooling. So I just want to encourage listeners, if, if you're in this situation, that there are advocates. There are people that can help you do the research, dig in. Don't be alone in this. Just like what you're doing, Natalie, you are reaching out to help people who feel like they're alone. So moms, you're not alone out there. So I just want to say, but because I want Natalie to speak to this, if you exercise that option, that homeschool option, you don't have to recreate the classroom in your home. Oh, right. And I think that that's the whole message that you're saying that you've reinvented the, the idea of homeschooling for children who are neurodiverse. So I'd love for you to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, and I admit my mistakes in our book because, and Cindy and I both do actually, um, I tried to recreate school at home. I remember, and I even share in the book about our first day, which was a big flop. And I was like, okay, here we go. And then I was like, no, that, you know, so what, if I could do it over again, I would definitely allow time to de-school, you know, mm. to decompress. If your child, especially your child that has a neurodiversity, they need that time to, to physically decompress. It's almost like being in, in a pressure cooker or an Instapot for, you know, however many months or years. Um, I would do that. And so for me, and this is a great example. And Terry, I'm so glad you brought this up. You as a homeschool mom or as a homeschool dad or, you know, just as a homeschool family, you do not have to do every subject yourself. I think there's that misconception that you buy the box curriculum and you do it all yourself. Nope. My son's a carpentry apprentice and I knew zip about carpentry <laughs> when we started it. And I talk about that in this book. And what I did, and this is a, another key term, like interdependence and like, you know, the other terms we're talking about, 
I outsourced. I outsourced carpentry. So I did not give him his carpentry apprenticeship. Two very talented carpenters and woodworkers did, as well as camps and classes and whatnot. Same thing when he wanted to learn welding. I don't know about welding. I mean, so, you know, we took him to a local nonprofit that they offer these small classes where you can learn the trades and everything. So that we outsourced it. And there are so many resources now, especially since the pandemic. Oh my goodness. It's like an explosion of resources, especially for skills, trades, entrepreneurs, you know, everything that we talk about in our book, you really can reinvent it and personalize it. Again, I I can't stress enough. And Cindy and I talk about this in our book, in our journeys, you know, always comply with your state or your province or your country's guidelines, you know, wherever you're listening to us from, always comply with those regulations, you know, and, and for us, we um, were, became members of HSLDA because we knew that that was just a great, you know, service option organization for our family. Can you Um, tell our listeners what that means? Sure. So HSLDA, and we talk about it, actually, I believe we even list the link in our book, is the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Um, They are an organization that not only, um, you know, gives family support in their homeschool journey, lets them know, okay, you know, these are the regulations to abide by, but also just lets you know if if a district or a county or state is putting a little too much pressure that that is actually not legally necessary. So, you know, if, if you are a homeschooler and you get a letter from your school district saying, oh, well, you didn't do this, and you know that you are in compliance, HSLDA is like your insurance policy. You call them up and they will do, they will, you know, they will help you with that. Um, The other, another thing, HSLDA also offers uh, classes to students. They offer just so many things. The membership is totally um, worth the money. Um, But finally, since, especially in the past five years, I'm going to say HSLDA is really Um, increased their special needs exceptional learners department. So now they have staff members that can answer questions, um, that can give you guidance and provide resources. So that's an added benefit, especially if you are homeschooling a child or a teen that has a neurodiversity. Um, So yeah, so that's hslda.org. I highly recommend it, um, you know, as a mom of kids with lived, you know, as a mom with lived experience of kids with, you know, different diagnoses. Yeah. yeah. So honestly, you can outsource the things that you don't know, you know, and, or the things that you're just not sure of. And I really did that in the last two years of our son's homeschool journey, because we really focused on his carpentry, you know, so our math was actually based on carpentry math, you know, and there was actually a wonderful book I found on Amazon called Shop Math. And it just basically was what he needed as as a carpenter. So I bought one for his teacher and I bought one for him and bought one for me. And, and you know, we all just worked together. Um, he also wanted to learn just about wood and the science behind wood and everything. So I mentioned in the book, one of the things he did, this was actually after he graduated, but again, could be part of his apprenticeship, uh, was he went with his apprentice teacher. Um, his apprentice teacher had a fallen black walnut tree that was gifted to him. Um, and if you know anything about carpentry, black walnut is just gorgeous. It's an amazing um, wood to work with, especially building furniture, live edge, things like that. 
and and again, I can't believe I'm saying words like this. The the me five years ago is like you're talking about live edge black walnut. Who are you? <laughs> so I just I laugh. I just had to pause and, and think. Wow, I can't believe I'm talking like this. Um, but he went out with him. You know, it was a whole day like a field trip where they went out. They they got the uh, the the big fallen tree. They took it to, they had it moved to the place where it was going to be, um, you know, cut for slabs and then um, where it would be dried. And, and it was just an amazing process. Our son would have never learned if he had not been in this apprenticeship experience. And, and again, his apprenticeship teacher, he, he does it out of the kindness of, of his heart and, and that he, you know, just genuinely cares for our son. We don't pay him. You know, it, it's just uh, an apprenticeship based out of caring and that he genuinely just wants to see the best for our son. So um, that I think is the biggest blessing of it, of, of all is that, um, you know, our, and actually our son's first teacher too, we, he was not paid or anything. He just, he did it because he wanted our son to thrive. So um, yeah, yeah, that's. So, so let me ask you this. Um, obviously you mentioned that you have to follow your state and local guidelines for homeschooling. So talk a little bit about how moms can use a strengths-based approach. Um, what, would be the, what would be the first step that they need to take? How do they implement that um, while following requirements? So it's almost like how you hear in, in many homeschool conversations about interest-led, you know, learning, you know, um, interest-led direction. Mm -hmm. So it, it's where you allow your child, you know, so if you're parenting a child that's on the younger side, um, incorporating their interests into their existing, you know, so say they're really interested in rocks, you know, and could just mine rocks or, or, you know, hunt for rocks. Well, then you incorporate geology into that. And, you know, you have unit studies. Unit studies are awesome. I love them. Um, you, you, you know, have maybe a, a month where you, you incorporate that into your curriculum as they get older, you do things like maybe they go to a site that's supervised with you, like either if you live, you know, in an area that has, I'm thinking like you both are in Colorado, so I'm sure you have like this kind of thing, like a, a geological site or something like that, where they can go and visit for the day supervised. And then mm -hmm. as they get older, maybe they can have a mentorship or, or some sort of, um, you know, some sort of experience where they can be supervised, you know, once a week where they can work with someone or be an assistant and then even build that up to an apprenticeship where they're, they're helping and it's, it's part of their homeschool, um, you know, class. So for example, our son's apprenticeship hours, we counted them. We, you know, we had monthly goals. Um, we, had, you know, we, we documented the hours, we kept a record of his, his work and whatnot. So it really can grow as your child grows and as your child ages. Um, and then the other great thing about uh, doing something like that too, again, it, you know, learning um, their interest and they, it's something they want to continue to pursue is that you can pace it at their own pace. So due to the son's nature, <laughs> 
sorry, due to our son's nature of his developmental disability, which was FASD, having a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, his memory is very inconsistent. His working memory was affected. Um, his, his ability to retrieve in- information was inconsistent due to the brain differences from the prenatal alcohol exposure. So one of the things we did with both of his apprenticeship teachers, uh, one of the things I did was just talk to them about the nature of his diagnosis and say, okay, so the best way he learns is like breaking down steps. So maybe no more than three steps at a time and repeating steps and maybe having a visual cue or something. So um, incorporating how they learn best into those interests too will reinforce that, you know, in information. And, and especially we know, I mean, just as, as moms with lived experience, we know that when our kids are interested in something, it's like hyper-focus. It's like all of the neurodiversity goes right into that focus. So they can, you know, play Minecraft for four hours or they could do something. So you build on that, you build on that interest and, and, you know, somebody said, um, I, I was on another podcast and this was just like such a beautiful statement. It's like, do you want your child to have a career in something that they absolutely don't like? Or do you want your child, you know, teen, young adult to have a career in, in something that they love? And if they do, then start exploring that early. And it, even, even before that, you know, we always knew that our son was a very kinesthetic and, and visual learner. Um, and I, I've, been giving this example often because I think it's great how it ties into what he does now. So when we were homeschooling um, and we were kind of at the end of his, you know, uh, written curriculum type of things, you know, when we do English and math and all that stuff, our son, ever since he started, always liked to do his book work and his computer work or whatever at our stove standing up with the stove light on. And I tried for a long time to be like, oh, you know, sit over there and everything. He's like, mom, I, I do it quicker and I do it better over here. So finally sunk into my heart head. I was like, okay, let's just let it be. This is, this is homeschooling. This is what, so literally like maybe a year or so ago. Um, actually, I think it was before that. I went in early to see him with his, his carpentry teacher and I saw him standing up, you know, at his workbench where he, you know, he and his um, teacher do the work, standing up, writing down his stuff. And there was a light overhead. And I was like, this is what he was meant to do. This is why he did. He was looking. That's, that's what gave him, you know, that, that kind of feeling of yes, confidence. And he works best standing up. I mean, he can measure to, to like, you know, the 32nd of a, of an inch, you know, in carpentry because he focuses better on his feet. And I think that's something that parents should keep in mind. You know, my daughter, she really likes to sit on her bouncy ball when she's doing things, you know, incorporate that and learn the science behind that. And when you learn the why behind the, what you think is actually a quirk, it's actually part of their strength, you know, so incorporate that. So, you know, getting back to that example, I, I let him stand and I would just give him breaks and he would just stand and do his work. And 
sure enough, when I'd go back and check it, it, it was as accurate as it as could be. So um, you learn a lot on this journey. And um, again, I just hope that our book is a resource. And, and Cindy shares, you know, my co-author and friend Cindy, she shares very similar things that she learned through her now young adults of, you know, how their quirks worked into, oh, hey, this is, this is kind of like a superpower. So, um, yeah. Well, and I think those are applicable to neurotypical children as well. I mean, my, my favorite classrooms to see are those that offer a variety of seating arrangements, standing arrangements, um, Mm -hmm. because we don't have to sit in little desks. Right. With no padding, by the way. (laughs) you know, in order to learn all the same way. Um, So absolutely. I'm glad that you shared that example. So good. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to take a quick break and uh, let Terry read a word from our sponsor. And then when we come back, we would like to hear about your podcast and a little bit more about um, FASD. Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. LearningRx one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. LearningRx can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, we've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. We'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give LearningRx a call at 866-BRAIN-01 or visit LearningRx.com. That's LearningRx.com. And we are back talking to Natalie Vecchione about homeschooling neurodiverse kids. So Natalie, your podcast is called FASD Hope. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what that's about and what you want everybody to know um, about FASD. Sure thing. So FASD Hope is a podcast my husband and I started in September, excuse me, October of last year. And we, our mission is threefold. We want to provide awareness about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. We want to provide resources through our our podcast, through our website, you know, through other avenues. And then most importantly, we want to provide hope and inspiration for families, caregivers, um, you know, those who work with children um, through adults that have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is a spectrum disorder similar to autism spectrum disorder or other brain-based spectrum disorders. Um, However, the big, big um, takeaway from fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is that it is caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. And what we have learned in over the course of many years, um, and especially in recent years, is that alcohol is the most harmful substance 
for an unborn child. We often think it's illicit drugs or even prescription drugs. It's actually alcohol. And the science behind it is alcohol not only affects the brain, impairs and, and affects the brain cells, damages the brain cells and causes brain differences, but it also can cause up to 400 other medical diagnoses because we know alcohol permeates every single system in, you know, in an unborn child's body, in a person's body. So um, there are, FASD is basically um, an umbrella term for disabilities caused by alcohol. Um, There are five diagnoses under that umbrella, um, fetal alcohol syndrome, which is what most people think of, which is really the most impactful where people think of, oh, there's the facial qualities, there's those facial characteristics. Um, With fetal alcohol syndrome, um, it it, it is the most most severe um, of the uh, five diagnoses. Um, However, any person that has been exposed to alcohol prenatally can look different from another one. There's many factors that fall into play with having an FASD. So there's fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, There is partial fetal alcohol syndrome, which is called PFAS, alcohol-related birth defects, neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure, or NDPAE, and then alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. So that's a, that's a mouthful, but basically the takeaways from this that I'd like your listeners to know about FASD are this. First of all, no amount of alcohol during pregnancy is safe. And that especially includes if, you know, whether you are married and, you know, you're trying to get pregnant and you consume an occasional glass of wine and then, oops, you finally realize you're pregnant, you know, six weeks later or eight weeks later. No amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy. CDC, so many other organizations, you know, emphasize that if you are trying to conceive or e- even if, you, you know, you're, you're, you think you um, might be trying to conceive, just don't drink, don't consume alcohol. Um, alcohol, the facial characteristics, there's a fallacy that people often think that, oh, well, in order to have alcohol exposure, they have to have, quote, unquote, the face, the facial characteristics. Those facial characteristics, the alcohol that um, that causes the alcohol exposure that causes those facial characteristics, that only happens, I believe it's during days 17 through 23 in the pregnancy. So it's very early in and it's only for about a week in that first trimester. So if birth mom, biological mom, um, if, if a mother has consumed alcohol either before or after, there, it, there's not going to be any outward facial signs. Um, so another fact is 90% of those that have an FASD have no outward facial or feature physical characteristics. So it really is an invisible disability. Um, FASD, it's a brain-based disorder and it has whole body symptoms. It can also cause a range of cognitive, behavioral, 
health, adaptive functioning, executive functioning, and learning difficulties. Um, there are also, there's a high percentage of those that have an FASD that also have co-occurring mental health diagnoses. And again, the science behind this is because the alcohol that has, you know, affected the brain and the cognitive functioning and whatnot also has affected the mood and mood regulation and, and that whole um, stability in, in the brain. So there are, I believe the percentage is 93% of those individuals that have an FASD also have a co-occurring mental health diagnosis. Um, finally, that is the biggest takeaway that I, I'd like people to get from Actually, there's two more. Um, a recent 2018 study done by Dr. Philip May out of UNC Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He did a study of, um, I believe it was, it was approximately 6,700, 6,600 first graders um, in four U.S. communities that were, you know, separated. Um, he determined uh, through this study, and this was published in the journal of, um, the, it was published actually in a couple, it was published in JAMA. It was also uh, published in, um, in the American Association of Pediatrics. Um, and I believe it was also an NIH study too. It estimated that one in 20 of those children had an FASD. And that was a very conservative estimate. It actually, um, more less conservative estimates are FASD, the prevalence is, is somewhere between three to 10% in the US. So even if we went with that one in 20 um, diagnosis or that one in 20 statistic rather, um, that is, I think that's more than twice as much as autism, which I believe the most current statistic I've seen is one in 50 or one in 51. Um, so the prevalence of FASD is much higher than people suspect. Um, finally, FASD is often undiagnosed. It's actually the most undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, and underdiagnosed of all the developmental disabilities because um, especially children with having an FASD, um, and this was the case with our son, often get other diagnoses first. So things like sensory processing disorder, um, you know, visual processing disorder, uh, learning, you know, difficulties, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, even autism spectrum disorder. Um, those diagnoses are usually, usually acquired by a child with an FASD. Um, and then when treatments and interventions that usually work for those diagnoses don't work, you know, parents are, just don't understand, they're, they're frustrated, have your child tested for having an FASD. Because when you learn that your child has an FASD, there's a shift of a child won't do something to, oh, my child is not able to do something because of the brain damage. And um, that really was what happened to us when we learned our son had an FASD when he was 15. Um, we were verbally 
we were told by a neurologist that he had suspected it for a number of reasons. Um, but we were finally, it was finally confirmed when he was 15. Um, the book that I would highly recommend to your listeners to learn more about FASD is Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Malbin. It's really the book to start learning about FASD and the science behind brain-based diagnoses and making that shift from thinking that a child with a brain-based diagnosis, such as FASD, um, thinking of it's a willful behavior to know it's actually a symptom. It's actually a a brain-based symptom. Um, And it really, we took, my husband and I took the training, we read the book, we took other trainings. And when we really started just, just again, breaking down things to, you know, seeing things like if, if our son had a meltdown or if our son um, just was, you know, just not able to do something, going back and looking at, okay, what is happening? What is, is you know, is something, um, is this developmentally too high of an expectation for our, our, our son? Or um, is this something that, you know, it's related to memory, he's not able to recall it, that kind of thing. Um, so some examples um, of primary characteristics of um, a child, adolescent, even adults that have um, an FASD. Some of them include um, impulsivity, distractibility, uh, having a slower processing pace, and then that's, you know, visual, auditory, um, having that slower processing pace, having difficulty with memory, um, problems with working memory, especially inconsistent performance in memory, um, difficulty, here's a huge one, difficulty with abstract thinking. So often concrete thinking is really the best way an individual that has an FASD learns because abstract thinking is just not, their their brain is not able to process it. Um, having, and related to that, having um, difficulty with cause and effect. So not understanding consequences, you know. And again, when we go back to a brain-based neurobehavioral model of parenting and caregiving, what we do rather than consequences is we make accommodations, you know, and we change our expectations. Um, so, and then probably the, the biggest hallmarks of FASD include dismaturity or having a much higher chronological age than a developmental age. And then um, finally, um, having sensory either overstimulation or sensory seeking behavior, uh, symptoms, excuse me. So those are examples of um, having primary characteristics with NFASD. Okay. So I learned so much in that conversation um, that I feel like maybe I should have known as a psychologist. Um, so I really appreciate um, that detail, Natalie, for sure. So we are out of time um, and need to wrap up. And um, okay. <laughs> There's a pop-up on my screen if you're not watching us on, <laughs> if you're not watching us on YouTube. And I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> so okay. Um this has been a great conversation, Natalie. We really appreciate that you took the time to share your personal journey with us and our listeners today and to educate us, um, especially on the risks of drinking during pregnancy and um, 
how to recognize the FASD symptoms and to know that we might frequently misdiagnose children. Um, and so time frame. I was interested to hear that time frame. 17 week what, no, what was it? Um, so for the facial characteristics? Yeah, that was so interesting. I believe, um, so I, I can find this source and, and send it to you so you can share with our listener, your listeners, but I believe it's days 17 through 23 days This in, in gestation. Yeah, those are, that's when the facial characteristics related, associated with uh, fetal alcohol exposure happen. So if it's after that, you're not going to see those characteristics. Well, and I think it's important for our listeners then to recognize that when when we think of fetal alcohol syndrome, that's what we associate. Right. right? The most dramatic FAS. Absolutely. And so just because you got lucky and didn't drink between day 17 and 23, so you don't have the facial characteristics, doesn't mean that you don't have a lifelong impact from the cognitive deficits that present and the emotional deficits that can. And I just, I don't know. I want to say like, gosh, we, we need to recognize this and maybe set aside the shame. Like we didn't know what we didn't know. Yes. Yes. There was a, there was a big movement for a while in the, in the kind of hippie breastfeeding circles that was like, it's, oh, it's fine. You can have a glass of wine in pregnancy if it helps calm you down and lower your, your, your heart rate. And so I think that, that it's, it's okay. Moms, listen up. We don't need to beat ourselves up, but let's be aware. And if your kids are struggling, it's okay to investigate, investigate that and even get that diagnosis and, and not be ashamed, but say, you know, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And now we know. So now let's do the right thing and try to help. Well, and I, and, I mean, and birth control pill babies, like my youngest, yeah. I didn't know I was pregnant because right. I was on birth control. And yeah. so those are not intentional mm-hmm. when you have a glass of wine, you're not trying to get pregnant. You think you're preventing pregnancy, right? Mm-hmm. And so absolutely um, that awareness is... And, and something important for your listeners to know is there's actually national legislation that has been introduced. Um, it's called the FASD Respect Act. Um, it's uh, Senate two the Senate bill is two two three eight, and the uh, House of Representatives bill is four one five one. So S two two three eight and HR four one five one. And basically, uh, there are a bunch of advocates. I've been uh, very blessed enough to to be a part of this um, movement as parent advocate. Um, there is funding for prevention, research, and supports and services, and for each state to hopefully have a center for FASD. You know, to to you know where you go for resources, diagnosis, very similar to autism and how you know the legislation for autism has has happened. Um, and most importantly, FASD with this bill will be recognized as a diagnosable developmental disability because it, it's often, you know, misdiagnosed or, you know, there are, you can diagnose it, but it, it's, there's a long wait for many of the diagnostic clinics in the U.S. And, and unfortunately, there's just not enough resources. So this national legislation, if you're interested in about it, um, hearing more and how you can advocate for it, I will be sharing um, with, with you the, uh, the link that you can go and learn more about it. But yeah, it's, 
called the FASD Respect Act. Excellent. Um, So, Natalie, again, thank you for your time today. Um, If you would like to connect with Natalie, learn more about FASD, get her book, um, we will, you can, well, first of all, you can visit FASDHope.com. We'll actually put her social media handles and the link to her book in our show notes. And again, her book is called Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities, um, co-authored by Natalie Vecchione and Cindy LaJoy. So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a rating, a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd rather watch us, we are on YouTube. Um, You can follow us on social media at The Brainy Moms, at Dr. underscore Amy Moore and at Teresa Miller. So look, until next time, we know you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we are out. Yes.